0: into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Glenn is the co-founder and now VP and GM at Gap Wireless. He is a sales leader who has been selling his whole life and also the author of Never Sit in the Lobby, a book in which he has shared 57 secrets from his career. In this heartfelt conversation, Glenn shares the story of how he moved into sales very early in his career and how he has never looked back. He also revealed many other stories from his long career and the lessons he draws from them, which are not only useful for anybody in sales, but any leader, in my opinion. And you will not want to miss this conversation. Hi, Glenn. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hi, Sumit. Happy to be here. It's wonderful to have you here with us. Before we begin, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you're doing? Sure. My name is Glenn Poulis. I live
1: in Canada, near near Toronto. Lived here pretty much my whole life. My day job, I'm vice president general manager of a company called Gap Wireless. We're a sales company in, in North America. And we were acquired by a U.S. firm about a year ago. And around a year ago, I also, coming out of the pandemic, I published my first book, which is a compilation about my life in sales and business.
0: Okay. So, so coming to your life, right? Can you share a bit of your backstory? What has been like the journey like to where you are today?
1: Sure. So I always like like starting to tell people that my first job, I was actually a civil servant. I worked for the federal government. I was a technical role in the weather department, fixing electronic weather equipment. And my boss, had told me after a couple of years, he said, you're not in the right job, you need to quit and go into sales. And I'm like, I wasn't really sure why he was saying that, but I took him at his word and I applied for a sales job and I, I ended up getting that job and leaving the government and going into the world of selling. And I worked for a company for about five years, at which point I I started my first company. And I ran that company for 15 years and we sold it to a public entity, and through one thing or another, which at some point we can go into that in detail if you like, but that public entity was probably not the best choice for an exit event. And we, they ended up closing down our division, and which sometimes happens when companies are bought. And myself and the rest of the team, we ended up having to look for work after a period of time, which in the end worked out okay because I started Gap Wireless 16 years ago. And I built it for 15 years. And I, again, I sold it, that company to a U.S. firm in February of 2022. And I agreed to stay working for them for a few years. And so, so I still have the same job that I had, but, but now I'm, I have a boss now, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's quite an interesting story, especially the beginning when you said somebody maybe noticed or gave you a suggestion that you should be in sales. Yeah. So can you share what that person see you and then what did you realize as you like moved from government to sales, which I would imagine would be like diametrically opposite to each other?
1: Yeah, it was. Well, the funny part about the story is that uh, I had to drive around to all these weather stations in Canada, fixing all this equipment. And I had a government company car, like I didn't get to take it home. But when I went to work, I would use the government car and I would drive to these locations or uh, sometimes it was overnight. And it was the worst, it was the crappiest car you could imagine was my government vehicle. I think it was a Chevy Chevette. It was government green. It was a really awful looking green color back then in the eighties and crank windows, no air conditioning, no radio. And and I never really thought much of it, but when I got the interview for the sales job, they flew me to Montreal to visit one of the owners and meet one of the owners. And he picked me up in a BMW 750 and uh, and i'm like wow i really need a job in sales because i had just gone from a chevy chevette to a bmw 750 right i mm-hmm. always remember how that impacted on me at like 24 25 years old and i'm thinking yeah i got to get me one of these things and yeah. it turned out when i went to their office in montreal there were two more bmw's lined up and there were three owners of the company in montreal and the license plates were one digit apart mm. and i'm like oh i definitely got to get a job in sales and um, so I guess the reason that he saw was, well, the, there were times where they were telling me I was working too fast and I had to slow down because I was upsetting the pace in the in uh, in the lab, in the electronics lab. And basically they were giving me these projects and I was doing them and coming back and say, it's all done. And they're like, no, you should have taken a week to do that. And meanwhile, I did it in like four hours. And though I was always, I guess, trying to get ahead or get things done or something like that. And it didn't mesh well. And I, maybe it was my talkative nature, my, my rambling nature or whatever huh. story, have you, that inspired him to think, oh, this kid would probably make a good salesperson. I don't remember ever asking him why he said that, but he did say one interesting thing. He said, Glenn, money flows out the end of a pen, not out of a toolbox. And hmm. he said, you'll do much better getting out from under your, tool, your toolbox and into the business world is what he was trying to tell me. And yeah. it ended up working out okay for me. So...
0: Yeah. And how was the journey, right? Were you a natural at like sales or would you have to learn or there were some tough periods.
1: So, so second funny part of the story. So I applied for the job. I only ever applied for one job, got the interview, went to see the fellow's name was Kim. And I got the interview. The next morning I called and I asked for him and he said, I said, did I get the job? And he's like, well, no, I'm still interviewing candidates. And that was in the morning. So that afternoon I called him back, right? And I said, what about now? And the next day, he uh, he put me through to the secretary, answered instead, and I'm like, did Kim make a decision yet? And she's like, no, he's, I don't know. So I called back that afternoon. And so I ended up calling him for like days and days on end, right? And eventually he sent me to Montreal where I got picked up in the Beamer. And after he hired me, he's pulled me aside and he said, you know something? He said, you are not the top candidate for the job going into this process. And he said, there were other guys from the industry that we really wanted to hire more than you but we ended up hiring you. And I'm like, well, why did you do that? It's like, yeah. Why didn't you just hire them? And, and he said, well, because you're the only one that followed up twice a day for 10 days. And he said, so if you would go to that length to get the job, we would know what? we'd go to that length to keep the job. And found that when I set my sights on things, I can get very focused on following up and sticking to the task and what have you. And I have a chapter in my book, where I call it greed-based learning. And sometimes when you're trying to learn a new product or something like that, especially the high-tech products that I was selling, it could be very complicated. But when you had a customer that wanted to see it the next day because they wanted to buy it, it, you realized, hey, how important it was to your career and to your financial future to sell these instruments. It was very easy to learn because you were so engaged, hyper-engaged in the success of the sale, right? So... I I found it very difficult to learn the products at the beginning because I didn't have any way to apply them. But once I got into the field, I started learning tips and tricks from my from my the owners who became my mentors, and that's where I started writing down the rules, which eventually, all those years later, would become the book. Right, and and so I feel like there was it was just a blind luck the way I fell into it. It wasn't like I had a systematic approach at 24 years old, but It was just a blind enthusiasm is what I'm trying to Mm -hmm. say. And that came through, I I think, in the presentations. And ultimately, I always knew enough about every product. I was not an expert. I'm never an expert at anything. I just take the top three or four or five things of anything, Mm -hmm. learn it so you could sound intelligent. And then I would get the right people in front of the customer or on the phone or what have you in order to help deliver the final message and that ended up working for me and yeah so that's how i how i got started anyways
0: thank you thank you for sharing that story i think that's a wonderful lesson for anybody in sales or i think then you also mention entrepreneurship and then starting your own company is very much like sales because you're always selling right even if not selling right. for money you're still selling your ideas your company in many different ways yeah uh, so i want to ask you how did how was that journey for you starting on your own, would you see that as very equivalent to sales or would you see that as something which you were already good at because of the sales or anything else that you would like to share?
1: So, yeah. So as the, as my years with this company wore on, it was from 1985 to 1991, right? I learned one simple thing was that the, I was able to make good money and the money that they became as per their instructions, like they said, the first year you'll probably do this and then that, and you'll get to 100k or something like that. And everything they said was true. And but I really I saw the way the the compensation plan worked and just the whole model of the business. And I realized that for every dollar that I made, they made four, five, six, seven, or ten dollars, right? And in my mind. Of course, I couldn't rationalize that. I'm like, that just doesn't seem right to me. (laughs) And how do I get the $4 or the $9 or whatever, right? And so (laughs) as the years wore on, I realized there was a new technology evolving. (laughs) And I asked them, I said, look, I'd like to spin off a part of your business and focus on it. I'd like to get some ownership in it like you guys have. And they had left their prior jobs to start this company. So I knew how the game was played, right? You learn enough. And then you start your own sort of business, right? And uh, in this kind of sales company world, right? And uh, the president said to me, he said, look, Glenn, he said, why don't you write down your plan and I'll sit down with you, but I can assure you it's probably not going to work. Most businesses fail and you should just stay in this role where you're, where you're good, you're doing well. And so the next day I resigned and, and I realized these guys are never going to be my partners. They're never going to see me as an equal. And so the ne- very next day I quit and and they were telling me it wouldn't work and of course the the technology that i was basing it on was this newfangled technology which never went anywhere it's called the cell phone and of course nobody uses those and that business never went anywhere and i started building the business focused just on the technology around mobile wireless communications uh-huh. and versus general electronics which is what they were in yeah. and and i just basically got to town figuring out all the different in addition to calling on customers and selling the products and talking to vendors of products to sell their products, learning about the marketing and creating marketing materials. It was a while before we needed a website, but eventually we needed a website. And and I just took to learning how to set up the business the way I learned how to set up the sales job. And of course, I was excited and motivated, and I really didn't need any encouragement. I was clamored to get to work every day, and, and I really enjoyed the multitude of things that were required to start a business. When I started my next company in, because I was employee number one of that company, and of course I, bu- I took on a couple of partners and we grew to over a hundred people and then we sold the business, but then I had to start my other company in 2007 when the public company closed it down. And I created a list to figure out how to start the business and there were 184 things that I had to do. And so I had a partner at the time and an investor that was going to invest them. And I basically presented to him, I said, look, I'd like to be the general manager. I'd like to run the business, part of the business. And here's the 184 things we need to do. And they're like, okay, if 184 things we need to do, you go ahead and do it and we'll focus on selling. And that's what we ended up doing. And, and that's how I got through the second business. And it was just as much fun building the second one as it was building the first one, right? Now oh. I'm 60 years old now, not sure I'd like to build another one. But I guess if, if the times required it, I probably could, or I could, I could join another smaller company or what have you and help them grow too. Right. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. As you mentioned, can you share a little bit about what is next for you? What are you looking up to right now?
1: So (laughs) yes, the, when I sold the business in February of 2022, I could have left the business, but they, because of my job as the general manager, they really wanted me to stay, of course. And I agreed to stay until they, until the private equity firm resells the business, which is usually in like the three to five-year range. There's no exact date, but I, I was 59 turning 60. I figured, yeah, so 63 to 65, that's perfect. The common age of retirement. So when they're transferring this equity to another private equity firm, then that will be the time that I exit. And I was also publishing the book, and I thought, you know, I can start building the background to perhaps have a bit of a public speaking effort or business as I leave this business and do that for a few years, and then hopefully just drift off into the sunset and play pickleball and, and relax. And so that's the plan is, right, to finish out the project here and then hopefully get some speaking gigs and maybe do a uh-huh. bit of public speaking tours. And after that, probably then just retire kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And do you see the biggest challenges, let's say, in the near term future as you integrate?
1: Yeah. So the last year, towards the end of the year, the biggest challenges were becoming integrating our business into another bigger business that bought us, Uh figuring out how to blend systems and people. And But really, it's just like building another business and took to that naturally. The biggest challenge I'm seeing now really is the economy. And come the end of the year and early in the year, and now we're in the telecom sector and all of the, com- all of the telecom companies in North America have pumped the brakes on the capital net expansion of the networks, the 5G networks and what have you. They were gangbusters. 2021, 2022, there were crazy growth numbers. We had outstanding performance last year, but it literally like hit a brick wall uh, towards the end of the year. And it's not just our company, it's myself, all of our competitors, all the suppliers that deal with us, all the companies that they're selling to. There's been a real lowdown. So we've had to look at expense control measures. What are we going to do to to ensure the, the health of the business and try to protect the jobs? And that's really my number one priority and number one challenge at the moment. And it becomes a the most important thing, right? I mean, obviously we're always trying to build better systems and better better technology around our business and improve our websites and all that, but sometimes that becomes secondary when the market dips, right? Yeah. And so right now we're in a we're in a sort of conservation mode and and trying to protect the staff that we've got, make as many calls to customers as we have, add as many, any customers that we can add and and try to do the best job possible with with the business that's available to us today.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Things. I think one thing which is common in both sales and entrepreneurship is dealing with rejection or dealing with when things don't go your way, right? And that could right. be the result of an external situation like you are describing now. Uh, but even otherwise, that is just part and parcel of the job. So. From your career, what is it that you have learned and that you advise others or suggest others? Because I also know a lot of entrepreneurs or salespeople find it difficult to deal with rejection, deal, deal with the word no. So can you share some, some nuggets of wisdom around that?
1: Sure. So there's different kinds of rejection in my mind. And so one of the rejections is the, the most basic one is that you you go to see customers and some of them say no, and eventually someone says yes. So the common logic then becomes, If on average, you have to visit seven clients in order for one to say yes, just because of the probability, maybe you're selling some kind of service or something, and maybe something simple, like maybe cleaning services, right? You knock on the first door, no, we already have a cleaner, I don't need a cleaner. You knock on the next door, do you want a cleaner for your business at night? No, I have a cleaner. Then you get to the seventh door, you know, and they go, well, my cleaner didn't show up last night, you're upset, why don't you come in and talk to me for a minute? You're able to present your solution, And they're like, you know what, we're going to give you a try for a month. And then lo and behold, now you're going to knock on the eighth door, right? And then no, I have a cleaner. And so essentially what I learned from my mentors and my own experience and what have you is that every time someone says no to you, you know, you should be thanking them because every time you hear a no, you're closer to the yes, because it takes approximately seven to eight no's in order to get a yes, right? Or some people say 10, you know our business is a little bit different because I'm not knocking on doors and saying, hey, do you want to buy a $100,000 instrument? Or do you want to buy base station antennas? Like That's not the way it works. Where our rejections would come more in the form of our product was not selected over a competitor's product, right? So in the first scenario, uh, what I try to train people is like a rejection and a no is not a, it's not a judgment on yourself. It's a path towards finding the person that does need your product or solution at that time. And it's just a necessary part of it. Not everyone's going to say yes. So just keep keep at it and keep a positive frame of mind. And then you know that every seventh or eighth or ninth door you knock on will be a success. When it comes to the secondary one that I was trying to mention was what I learned when I first started my business in 91, you know, what the service that I was offering was I was approaching companies from around the world that had a product, but they didn't have a sales force in Canada, right? And so I would say, look, we'll be your sales force. I have myself, I have a partner in Montreal, a guy in Ottawa, there's a guy out west, and we will sell your product in Canada. We will import it, we'll take care of all the import duties, taxes, all that, shipping, and we'll go sell to the customer, take the order, we'll buy from you and sell in Canada very common business model. When I would go to a lot of these companies, they're like, no, we already have a Salesforce in Canada. We already have a company in Canada. They've been with us. And all the good lines, as I call them, were taken. So I would go down the, let's say, the pecking order of, and to get the business going, let's say I ended up with a lot of third and fourth rate business lines, right? Like vendors that we were selling. And so I would knock on the doors with the same attitude and vigor and that I had always had, and I found out that there were other principles in play that I hadn't realized before because the other business that I worked for already had the number one or the number two kind of vendors in the market. And so when I was showing up and selling those products for them for the first five, six years of my career, I had a running shot at getting the business because it's kind of Toyota, Honda, Nissan, yeah. whatever, Hyundai, something. Like the guy's gonna buy one of four of those things, right? But some weird car from some distant place that they've never heard of It's like, no, sorry, never heard of that product. You're not even in the running. And so that rejection, I quickly realized that, look, and I wrote about it in the book. And it's like, if you can't represent the number one or number two product, you should skip that product area because 80% of the business is probably going to go to the number one and 80% of the remaining business will go to the number two. And as you do that math, you realize you're going to be fighting for one to 4% of the business when you're number three and number four. And so rejection there teaches you the hard lesson that hey, I'd rather be first or second in the product lines or not compete, right? And and so that was a good lesson that I learned about rejection. And then another one that I learned about rejection is again, I'm sorry I keep plugging the book, but is that it's the rules called I'd rather be last than mm-hmm. second. And so Let's say I've got the number one or the number two product, but I go to the customer and I'm showing, I'm talking to him about it, or maybe I'm showing him the product or something like that. And I realize at some point, X number of minutes in or X second presentation or whatever, he's not going to buy my product. Well, historically, as I was younger, what I would do is I would fly people in from the factory. We'd have a big show, and then we'd ask the guy one and trying. To, and in the end, I still didn't get the business right. The lesson that I learned was that when you, if you realize, the moment you realize you're not getting the business, leave, just end it and let other people fight for it because you know who's getting the business. Those other people are wasting the time. You can go to the next guy down the road who's being ignored because this guy's busy selling the product to your first customer and you can go and sell him while that guy's not watching. So rejection teaches you where not to focus your time. And that was probably one of the most valuable lessons that I had learned was when to walk away, when to hold them, and when to fold them. And and most people, when they start to lose it, they want to grab on tighter as a reaction. Mm-hmm. When really you're better off to just let it go and move on to the the next opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So Thank those you. are some of my thoughts yeah. on rejection.
0: I think that's that's wonderful. I think what you shared to begin with, right? To not make it personal. That it's not your yeah. rejection is just a no and then you can move on to the next one but the last one you you mentioned i think it's so useful right to not try to hold on to or to force something which you know right. that is not going to happen and uh, like for that is it more of an intuitive sense that you develop over time or how do you to when or how or when do you realize that this is like not the place for me
1: so yeah so A lot, as I've been a salesman, a sales manager, sales director, VP of sales, owner of the company, all these different jobs working, but in the end, our business doesn't work without salespeople, right? So I'm always very tightly connected to our sales teams, right, so I'll work with people that have been doing it their whole life, and then there's a new sales guy we hired who's got like six months experience, right? And so I would get exposed to all these people, and what I would realize some behaviors of a lot of people is for instance, I they would have an opportunity and I'd say, oh, how's it going selling that box? And they're like, oh yeah, it's going good or whatever. And I said, who's the competition, right? And they're like, oh, I don't know, I think it's X and Y and Z or whatever. And I said, well, have you visited the customer yet? He goes, well, no, he called and I sent him an email and okay, and then what? He goes, well, I sent him a data sheet and I'm like, no, rule one in the book, never fax the facts never ship the shit. The second that guy called you and asked you about the product, you should have told him you'll be there the next day. Something in your hand, something in your mind. And when you show up to the customer, you've got the data sheet in one hand, you've got something in your mind to talk to him about. Then another one of my rules is always ask for a mini tour, meaning a little look around the building, his lab, his production area, whatever part of the business you're involved in. And when you're there, you're going to see Hey, he's got 19 boxes from this other company and you're not that company. You realize that, hey, maybe they got a corporate deal with this brand. They're probably gonna buy a 20th unit from this brand, but you can start to be more realistic about what you're dealing with. Say, oh, I see you're a big customer of brand A. Oh yeah, we use nothing but brand A. They're the best, actually we have a corporate deal. You know what? The guy with brand A has a desk in my building. There he is right there. And and then all of a sudden he, you it starts to be coming into focus about, hey, I'm not getting the business here. Like he's probably needs a second quote to keep the purchasing guys happy. So he's actually wasting my time. Or for instance, maybe maybe he I'm just making this up, but let's say he needs a precision cutting machine or something, right? And this guy, this guy has a, a water cutter or something like that and he's been using them, he has 19 of them, but now you've got a new laser cutter with a 10 times more accurate precision on the cuts. Now you're changing the dynamic. And it's look. I know, you're, I know you love brand A and they make really good water cutters. As a matter of fact, we don't even make water cutters anymore because we've advanced to the new laser cutting technology. And so are you guys open to looking at a new technology? And now you've changed the dynamic and it's worth your time to at least put, p- probe, right? And maybe it's a longer term sale and two months into the cycle or whatever, brand A comes out with their laser cutter. You gotta mm. change gears again, knowing you're probably gonna lose to brand A and they're gonna go back and buy the laser cutter from the same guy they bought 19 water cutters from. And the difference is, so what I was trying to say when tying that all together, most people don't know they're being rejected because they don't take the time to visit the customer. They don't follow up enough. They just act responsibly. Oh, the guy asked me for a data sheet, so I sent it. Then he asked me for a quote, probably because he wanted two quotes for purchasing or three quotes for purchasing. And at no point, did the salesperson value their own time enough to put the to turn it back on the customer to say no problem happy to get you data sheet look i'm in the area tomorrow can i drop it off oh well, i'm really busy okay well i'm there anyways i'll just drop it in the lobby and then okay drop it in the lobby and then you go to the lobby and you call him and you say hey i'm in the lobby and the guy's like oh yeah he said okay i'll see you in a minute and he comes down he but originally wasn't going to see you and i mean he didn't say he's going to offer to have a meeting with you at that point. He's just going to come and get the data sheet. But then you can give it to him and say, hey, look, I mean, I brought some on this post-it note. Here's some pricing. I mean, how does that look relative to, or you can ask him for the mini tour. You mm. can schedule a follow-up meeting because you're face-to-face and building rapport, right? Yeah. And um, and so the reason I wrote the book and what it's called has 57 tips, have all these tips in them for how you get, stay and in front of customers, right? And uh, and that's essentially how I do it, how I do some of the things and address the question that you had, right?
0: So Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Glenn, for that. I think I love that, like the initiative part, I think, to not be comfortable with just phone calls or with what you're comfortable yeah. at, but to lean in and like try to meet people try to make it happen. Yeah. But then also to listen or to see or to notice that am I making progress here? Am I like, is what I am saying? Is right. there a person even listening to that? And yeah. then changing strategies if you need to, but unless you lead in, and you also mentioned a good thing, right? You have to also value your time. Many times, if you come from a place of fear or insecurity, that leads to that avoidance or trying to get as many calls as possible, not the meetings or not the in-depth tour for one or two clients. So you have to be in your own skin. You have to be like, hold yourself valuable, understand the value that you're here to offer. And then treat it like a transaction rather than, like something where you're feeling guilty about in the first place.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: Yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I think yeah. there's, there's wonderful lessons there for not just salespeople, but also yeah. leaders in any capacity. So thank you for sharing that. And we can I can obviously talk about this for a long time, but we have <laughs> to end this also. Yeah. So before we end, anything else, like from your 57 tips that you would like to share, or if somebody wants to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: So yeah, so if they want to get a hold of me, they can just go to glennpoulos.com and dot scom and all the links are there and there's some tips and tricks there and uh, you can go, my social media is there. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Please connect with me. I'm happy to talk to you on LinkedIn. And in terms of the one more thing to share, or what have you, if it doesn't come up during a, t- a discussion like this, that I always wanna share one of my most important tips, which especially for the younger people tuning in, but not to be confused that the older people need to pay attention as well. But, and the tip is, and it comes from the book and it's called, You Only Get Forever to Make Another Impression. And, And so the way the story goes is that your mom often told you, right? Make sure you make a good impression. Take, at least in Canada, you take your shoes off, blah, blah, blah. Put your dishes in the sink after dinner. All the standard things as a kid or whatever, they teach you to make a good first impression, right? But what I teach people that I work with is that whenever you're working, you're making an impression. So let's say you're a junior sales guy and you hear the distinctive click, click, click of the boss walking down the hall. You want to make sure that when they walk by your desk, you're looking super busy and super super beneficial employee to that person, right? I often ask suggest as well that you know if it's appropriate, ask them a question. If it's the boss or the, maybe the boss your boss, oh hey Jack, just a quick question. I'm working on this great deal at Acne Manufacturing. I just thought wonder what you thought about such and such, right? And always be making a good impression because even if you're not making a good impression, you're making an impression. So if it's not good, what is it? And so uh, a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't matter that he saw me on Facebook or LinkedIn, and checks that at work and blah, blah, blah. No, if he sees that two or three times, he'll think you're a bum. (laughs) And so always make a good impression. And every time you make an impression, try to make it be a good one.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Glenn, for sharing that. piece of wisdom, I think. uh a common thread in everything that you have shared that every moment presents you with an opportunity. It's, if yeah. you're not seeing the opportunity, then it is you who is not seeing the opportunity. That's right. And then the next moment you can still, even if the first impression was not good enough, or even if you hear hard and no, you can still follow up, you can still start new and you can still lean in and make things happen. So I think that's a common thread, which, uh, which I can see from everything that you shared to lean in, to really take the initiative and then to go for it so yeah, thank you exactly thank you for that My pleasure. thank you for yeah. being Thanks, who sumit. you are yeah. and before we end i want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you
1: well oh, thank you so much sumit happy to be here
0: thank you thank you Chris. bye for now that's it for this episode of choosing leadership with sumit gupta i choose leadership every time i record this podcast and i invite you to do the same I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction not just for yourself but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show And it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.